0: Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Um, But I love seeing the joy and faith of the little ones. Uh, Whenever I do VBS, I've been a part of so many of them, every time I'm just filled with new joy. I'm like, man, they teach me how to have faith again. And I'm excited because I've got a little one on the way as well, coming in in September, really soon. Yeah. So if you guys don't see me for a while, I'm not sleeping. So that's where I'll be. Um, but I, I love, you know, I, I'm so excited for the moment. I'm just going to be able to learn faith again. I'm going to be able to learn to see wonder and, and to take risks and to see the world through these little eyes. But we all were like that at some point, except for somewhere through life, you know, the, just the hard knocks of life, unanswered prayers, experiences, being around cynical people. Most of us in the room, we become what we would call realists, right? Where all of a sudden we're like, no, nah, that doesn't really happen. I'm just being real, bro. And so we, we just kind of fall into this place where we lose the wonder, we lose the risk. But every once in a while we hear these stories where, where it kind of pulls us beyond our boundaries of faith and, and it begins to breathe new faith in us. There, there's stories where we hear where there was cancer once and it's all in the MRI, but then it's unexplainably gone. We know there's an open table behind that, praying and fasting. And we're like, coincidence? Maybe. We also know families that have wayward children, and it seems like all hopes are lost, but then radically, this child has an encounter with God, they step into a church, and this lady who's on the prayer team just comes up to them and says, I don't know if this is me or God, but I feel like God might want to say this, reads that person's mail, they come to the Lord, and what seems like is their life is completely changed and renewed. We look at the life of this church, we see Pastor Gustavo down in Mexico, we, we hear stories of these orphans who escaped an orphanage in Ukraine 24 hours before a bomb hits, so that they can be free and they can be safe. We hear marriages restored, we hear deep inner healing, lives change, homeless are fed, and some of these sure could be explained through mere human will, and yet others of these, we have to come up against the cold hard truth that maybe, just maybe, there's been people who've been praying behind the scenes, and God moves miracles. And so we come up with these things, and I think if you're anything like me, we have the same cry as the person in this story in Mark chapter 9. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can turn there, but his cry has been through my vocal cords so many times where it says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. See, being a pastor, I've sat down over a cup of coffee many times with people who are at various levels of faith. I've sat down with people who, they grew up in a Christian school. They followed all of the rules. They didn't smoke. They didn't drink, even when their friends were doing it. Right? They did all the right things. They served on the worship team. They helped out. They even told their friends about Jesus. like They were on fire. But then at some point, they realized, hey, I'm not happy. And it seems like everyone else's life is going good. And really, this is really not paying off the way that I thought. And then a crisis hits, confirmation bias. And then they sit down with me and they say, hey, look, I may still believe in God, but I'm not giving him my time of day. Or you sit down with a husband who during COVID-19, um, the lockdown, lost his, hus- or his wife, lost her job. She's going through the deepest depression that she's ever gone through, and she's doing therapy, and she's working on her physical health, and she's going through these things that are kind of working, but really it's a prayer of desperation at this point. And so she asks all of her friends to get around her to circle, to fast and pray, believing that God is going to heal her, and he does. And then I have stories like my friend Eli, who I used to be his youth pastor, and um, he's incredible. See, from the very young age, he realized that he couldn't hear very well, and so he's been wearing hearing aids his entire life, and sitting across from him, I hear these beautiful but also horrific stories of people who stop him and say, hey, I want to pray for you, and there's no healing. I've prayed for him. At one point, he even had a revivalist conference praying for him, for his ears to be healed in silence. Every day is the same routine with the same hearing aids. And yet, sitting down with him, he still has faith that God performs miracles. He still believes that God can do these things. In fact, you talk to him and you're like, his faith is stronger than ever before. He thanks God for the others that come and pray for him. But he also thanks God for the fact that he can't hear because it's grown him a dependence and a reliance on God that he couldn't have had without it. He's content. He's at peace and still believing in miracles. I don't know what it is, but faith, as we can all attest to, is not static, it's dynamic. That we can actually have absolute belief, belief, but at the same time hold doubt. And it kind of seems like our faith shows up when we get to a precipice or a crisis comes, when our faith is placed in the test lab of life to see its integrity. Every one of us, whether you've been following Jesus for 40 years, Or four minutes, so you have no idea who Jesus is at all. Every one of us, we know what it's like that the church mothers and fathers call this spiritual journey. That faith is a growth process. It's something that we grow in. It's not something you necessarily just wake up and have. And if you do wake up and have it, it'll probably get tested and you realize it wasn't that strong in the first place. But much like physical growth, the spiritual growth journey has some growing pains. It also has moments of, of just like massive leaps forward. I wish you guys would have seen pre-pubescent Stevie. Like I was five foot nothing for like most of my life until about sophomore year. And then when I hit my growth spurt, watch out world. It was crazy. right? But a large majority of our life is actually just a slow, monotonous, unnoticeable growth that actually when you look back over a lifetime, you see it's been tremendous. I think so often we're looking for those large growth spurts. We're trying to create the right conditions for those growth spurts to happen. We're like, why is my faith not growing? But the reality is is much like regular growth. Faith is very slow and unnoticeable and daily and it's monotonous. And sometimes you don't see it over until, until it's been a while. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And, and everything that's been going up to this point, if you were here last week, Benji talked about how um, they were at Caesarea Philippi and Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, but he didn't have the right idea of what a Messiah was, and so Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, I am a Messiah, but I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die. And so Peter, being very confident, rebukes Jesus, didn't go well for him. Jesus called him Satan, which don't want to be called Satan by Jesus, and so then from there, Jesus is like, I'm not giving you up, up on you. He takes him on top of the mountain. They call the mountain Transfiguration. And Jesus starts shining in glory and reveals who he is. And a voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. And so God reaffirms Jesus' identity as he's now doing a turning point. And they're headed towards the cross. And so that's where we pick up. They're now walking down the mountain of Transfiguration. And we're in verse 14. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From Childhood, he answered, is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And then Jesus replied, this is kind can only come out by prayer so up until this point faith has actually seemed to be pretty easy for the disciples In in the in chapter six jesus sends the disciples out he says hey go two by two go into the towns you can cast out demons you can heal the sick you can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and they do it and so jesus commissioned them he gave them all this authority they go out and they start doing jesus type stuff and so they're like they're puffed up they're like look at us we got power we got authority. We could do this. Jesus commissioned us. We're good. But something about Mark and how he's authoring, and and remember, he's talking to this audience, that there are these Christians that are hiding for their life in the catacombs of Rome, that are, are facing persecution, that they're afraid. They're going through difficulties in their faith now. And Mark is authoring in such a way where he's saying, hey, faith might have come easy for a while, but there will be a turning point. When Jesus asks you to take up your cross, and from that moment forward, it might be a little bit harder. See, I remember when I was, a, when I was first a believer. And I remember I, I started following Jesus like, dude, this is awesome, man. Worship came easy. Prayer was awesome. The Bible was super fun. And when I didn't know the answer, I'd go to Benji and he would just tell me all the answers. Dude, just tell me. Just tell us. I remember Behan and I called him one night. It was like 10 o'clock at night. Remember this story? It was like 10 o'clock at night. And we're like, dude, what's going on in the Old Testament with this? And Benji answered our question. He says, don't ever call a married man in the middle of the night. We're like, got it. (laughs) But that was was it for us. I mean, we just, we spent so much time. Like, I don't know what he meant by that, but I hope it was he was sleeping. Whatever. (laughs) But it was Easy. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of start hitting this time when all of a sudden the adrenaline wears off, the dopamine, all the serotonin, all the joy, everything gets a little bit harder. All of a sudden your friends offering you whatever they're offering you is actually beginning to look enticing again. And, and all of that faith that you had hits a wall and you're faced up against this fact when Jesus says, take up your cross. You're like, oh, Let me take that up. And it's also really hard when he says, take up your cross, but it's actually a deeply habituated thing that's happened over a lifetime. It's not easy just to say, okay, I won't do that anymore. It's easy to say, take up your cross until it's an addiction that you've had. It's easy to take up your cross when it's the shadow side of your gift. You know, like me, when I love serving, but the reality is the shadow side is I'm doing it to get love and acceptance from other people. He says, no, no, I want you to get that from me. It's easy to take up your cross when it's some of those things, but when it's deeper, it's character level. All of a sudden, it's really tough. And so the way that Mark is authoring is he's trying to get us to this place, he's trying to get the disciples to this place where he says, hey, it will get harder as you go on. And so they run up to this one place where all of a sudden they can't cast out this demon. They're like, what's going on? And Jesus says this, this kind can only come out by prayer. You guys ever read that and you're like, what does that mean? Right? Is, is, this, is he saying like there's like a secret formula to this one, you know, like hop on one leg, rub your belly and spin around, like... Is this like what the whole thing with, like, say Jesus' name at the end of the prayer is all about? Or is this like the open sesame of the kingdom? In Jesus' name. And then it works. Like, what, what's going on here? And by the way, when you say Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, it's actually you're praying in Jesus' character. And the name in the Old Testament, it was their character. It was about who they are. So you're not, like, throwing an open sesame at the end. We're saying, God, I'm praying this is in line with your character, with your nature, with who you are. So it's not a magical formula. This is what Jesus is hitting on. He's saying if you want to live like me, you want to have the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Where in John 15, he says, abide in me. Spend time with me. Get to know me. Be shaped by me. Pray. Be in my presence. And so when he says this kind can only come up by prayer, he's saying this is a kind where you have to spend time soaking in the presence of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then walking in his authority. This isn't one where you can just walk up and say, demon be gone, in Jesus' name. He's saying, no, you need to be so filled, so present. You need to know the voice of God and you need to walk in his authority. This is what Jesus is talking about. His disciples were living on this high of what used to work, and now they're stepping into something where like, oh my gosh, my journey of faith requires some more depth in me. And I think this may be for some of us. Maybe there have been things in your life that used to work, and they've gotten you so far. Thank them. But you also need to take a step forward into depth that Jesus is calling you into. This is why we emphasize the practicing the way cards, Lectio Divina, open tables, Sunday gatherings, serving opportunities. It's not a way of religious activity. It's a way of forming our life. It's a way of getting ourselves to be formed into people of love, as Jesus defines it, full of faith, who know God's voice and we're filled with His Holy Spirit. So his disciples were leaning into the old ways, but I love how Paul writes this in his letter to the church in Corinth. where he's talking about the spiritual journey, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. See, God's growing us up. He doesn't want me to remain pubescent Stevie anymore. He wants me to grow up to be a man. He wants me to step into who he's created me. He says this again in Ephesians 4. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You see, God loves you exactly as you are where you are, full stop. But at the same time, in his love, in the same way that when I receive my baby boy, I'm not going to want to keep wiping his butt forever. I'm going to potty train him stat. <laughs> Six months, I don't care, stop it. <laughs> Hold it in, I don't care, wipe your own butt, right? Like this is, Because God is a good father, he wants us to grow up, he wants us to walk in maturity, and don't we want that too? See, sometimes in the beginning of faith, it's like God is hand-holding with us. He's walking with us because we need that. And at some point, he also says, hey, here's some keys. Take it for a drive. See, God is growing us up in faith. He wants us to be mature. He's doing the same thing with these disciples. I have a friend. His name is Ash Um, I used to pastor with him up in Orange County. He's a pastor in Los Angeles now. And he, um, he's this incredible guy like he just changes the atmosphere. You know, those people when they walk into the room, and they just like change the atmosphere, whether they're like super excited, you're like, everyone's excited. Or if they're grumpy, everyone's grumpy, you know, he was excited most of the time. So it was a good experience. But he was a Brit, right? So I don't know why all these British stories are coming up. But he, he had this wonderful accent. And so he would walk into the room. He'd call everyone, love. He's like, hello, love. And you're like, thank you. And he'd always finish with a smile. And, you know, and then to me specifically, he'd say, hello, you gorgeous man. And I was like, yes, thank you. My day is made. I could hear that all day, right? He was, he was a spiritual father to so many of us. And, and still, I mean, just to this day, I still go to him. He's still a spiritual giant. He just radiates the peace and presence of God. Um, but he didn't always do that. Before he got saved, he was a, uh, he was a model in London. Uh, he married a model from France. Like, you could imagine the lifestyle he lived before Jesus. Like, he was, it was parties, it was drugs, it was drinking, it was women, it was everything. He was all in that scene. But then God radically met him. He walked into a church in London. The Holy Spirit fell on him. His life changed Completely, And as he's filled with the Spirit, filled with life, and he now is a believer in Jesus, doesn't know anything about Jesus, but read the story of how Peter walked on water. And so he tells this story of how he's wearing his, his, timberlin- his Timberlands on, and he's like, I always call him Timberlakes, but Justin's not, yeah. So he's wearing his Timberlands, and he's standing on the shores in England, and he's like, I got this, and just goes full sprint into the ocean, expecting to actually walk on water, like full of faith. He got like knee deep and realized that it wasn't working. So he had to go to an Anglican priest to figure it out. He's like, what's wrong with me? And eventually he's like, no, that's not what the story is about. But we all have stories. We've been filled with faith. We all know, like the stories I've shared, that there are various various levels of faith. Sometimes we wake up in the morning, we're filled with absolute faith. God's going to do stuff. And other mornings, our faith is just shaky and lacking. So here's what I want to talk about today. Three different stages or three different levels of faith. And so these three different stages or levels of faith would be religious faith, risking faith, faith and released faith. And, and here's what I want you to do. As I'm, as I'm teaching through this, through the Bible and then through this text, I want you just to identify maybe where you're at on this journey of faith with grace because all of these, they're not bad places. These are all places where you can identify yourself so you can know, as Jesus is teaching, what's the next step for you in your journey? And so the first one, religious faith. Last week, we talked about how Peter rebuked Jesus, because Jesus was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, I'm going to go to the cross, and this was a different Savior than he thought. So in Mark 8, 32, Jesus spoke plainly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, at this point, Peter doesn't actually believe in Jesus. He believes in his belief in Jesus. He's confident about his confidence. And we've all been there. I mean, I've been there. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling good about myself. And so I'm actually more confident in how confident I feel. This is a formulaic approach to God. This is when we say, Jesus, if we do X, you'll do Y. If I pray a lot, my life will be blessed. If I tithe, my business will take off. If I save myself until marriage, marriage will be explosive. And again, this isn't necessarily a bad stage of faith. A lot of this is actually rooted in good biblical principles, but it can quickly turn into a formulaic way of control and manipulating God to serve us rather than us follow him. And this is the phase, as I, as I mentioned, this is the phase that I was in. I see, when I walked out of my time of not being a follower of Jesus and stepped into following Jesus, see, up until that point, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live my life according to my rules. I'm going to have no authority over me. I'm just going to do what makes me feel good. And then I started following Jesus, and I needed to learn how to live under authority. I needed to learn how to, how to walk the steps of Jesus. And so I turned more into religious faith, and that was a good time of my life. That was a time where where I learned how to obey God. I learned how to have a quiet time with the Lord in the morning. I learned how to pray. I learned how to read the Bible. I learned how to ask for help in that season. Now, it was just a season I moved past it, but it was a good season. So I just want to say, if that's the season that you're in, have grace on yourself. Recognize it, acknowledge it, glean from it, and then keep walking forward if that's the season that you're in. This was just a step in my faith, but... This is Job at the beginning of his journey, or this is Saul on the road to Damascus where he says, no, no, I'm going to do this for God. I'm serving God. I'm doing all these things. This is Peter rebuking Jesus. And this stage of faith, eventually things won't go according to plan. Eventually you'll tithe and the business doesn't take off. Eventually you'll hit the wall, as Peter Scazzaro calls it. When you hit a crisis in your life, when everything you're doing doesn't add up to blessing that you were hoping for. And so Robert Mulholland Jr. calls this a vending machine God. And he says this, just sit near a vending machine and watch what happens when people do not get the product they've paid for. They'll begin to complain to anybody handy or even begin to abuse the machine. I've for sure done that. Give me my Doritos. See, this silly example illustrates a deeper dimension of our culture. We come to generally expect immediate returns on our investment of time and resources. If we have a need, we have only to find the right place, product, and procedure and invest the right amount of time, energy, and resources and our needs will be met. Often our spiritual quest becomes a search for the right technique, the proper method, the perfect program that can immediately deliver the desired results of spiritual maturity and wholeness. Our culture tends to train us in this manner. We start kicking and pounding on the machine. We have a tendency to do the same with God. We adopt a new spiritual technique. We find a new coin and a new slot to put it in. We put it in, push a new button, but nothing seems to happen. What do we do? Well, we start kicking and beating on God. Why don't you do something? Or we discard that technique and go find another machine and another coin. See, at some point, the formulaic approach to God won't pay off. At some point, God's not going to do exactly as we wanted him to do. At some point, you're going to realize that Jesus isn't the Savior that just blesses your life. He goes to the cross. So what do we do when we hit the wall? There's three things that we can do. One is we can step back. One is we can step to the side. And the other one, we can step up. And so the first one, step back. This is, this is actually what we see as the culture-wide phenomenon of deconstruction. One of the reasons. There's a lot of reasons. But sometimes when we hit the wall and we realize this isn't paying off, this isn't producing what I thought it would, all of a sudden we begin to deconstruct our faith with no hopes of reconstruction. Deconstruction's okay, but it's, it's good when there's a hope of reconstruction. When We do it in community and with people. And so in this faith, sometimes we step back and we ditch our faith altogether. That worked for a little bit, but nah, it's not good anymore. Or we can step aside. Stepping aside is what we do when I realize this in my own life, and I see it in so many other lives, where we can compartmentalize our faith. I, it's, it's staggering how we can have a faith where we're like, we're here on church at church on Sunday, we're, we're enjoying the Lord, but then we go off with our other friends in faith is now, doesn't matter, right? The sacred and the secular are separated, and we begin to live that way, separating out our faith, because we're like, I don't know, it doesn't really match up. I still love God, but I also want to keep doing this, and we compartmentalize. Or, we can step up. We can step into the next level of faith. We can lean in. We can go to a place of desperation, where we say, God, I need you, God, this isn't working out anymore. Is there something wrong? God, I need you. And so that moves us into the second phase of faith, which is risking faith. This is the faith of the man in the story. This is the faith of the man who brought his son with no other options to the disciples, and he had faith that God would heal his son. He heard stories of them doing miracles in all the other towns. He knew that God could do it. He had all the faith. He was ready to risk. And then nothing in fact, there was a lack of miracles The result that resulted in a huge argument, and that huge argument was between the teachers of the law and them. So you could imagine, not only is this guy humiliated, he's feeling this fact that his son isn't healed, and now he's the subject of an audience-wide debate. Could you imagine what he's feeling in that moment? So Jesus enters and he asks, what are you guys all arguing about? This man comes to Jesus now with weakened, but still very real, In very honest faith, he says, Lord, if you can, would you have compassion on us? And Jesus says, If? Jesus is trying to draw on this guy's little faith and say, No, no, you have more. He's trying to reach to that guy and say, No, 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 keep your faith. Keep it. And he's trying to draw him out. John Wimber, who started the vineyard movement, he's a pastor. He's now passed away, but he says, You can't spell faith, or this is how you spell faith R I S K. I know it's cheesy, but he's saying you can't have faith without risk, and so he's calling this man to risk. If we don't risk, and we have faith to ask God to move, to show up, to heal, to restore, then we won't see these things happen. Or if a miracle does happen, we won't have the eyes of prayer to see that it was God who did it. And so we need to be able to lean in and pray. And this story has a few twists in it where the guy didn't get the healing, and then he got the healing. Jesus showed up, he gave everyone like a master class on how to heal. But let's just play out the hypothetical scenario, the scenario that I think we're all really familiar with. What if this story ended without healing? What if this man came to Jesus and the answer was No. What if this man's story ended a whole lot like Jesus' story where in his crisis, it says this in Matthew 26, he's in Gethsemane, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you will. If it's possible, the same exact prayer as the father in this story, in Jesus' was met with silence. Jesus was met with a quiet heaven. And a few hours later, Jesus' prayer sounded more like a cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to Jesus' prayer was no. Jesus got a no. So we can't keep talking about faith without talking about the elephant in the room. What about unanswered prayer? What do we do when we have all of the faith in the world and we're running towards the ocean to walk on water and it doesn't work? What do we do if we were born without the ability to hear and everyone's praying for us and yet still silence is in our ears? What do we do with unanswered prayers? See, I know those are outside stories. You have your own. Where you've prayed, you've asked, you've had faith, you've been let down. What do you do? That's a whole sermon for another day, but I don't want to just like throw that at you and just like let you sit in that. So um, if you want to read more on it, there's a book called God on Mute by Pete Gregg. Incredible book. He gives you 15 reasons why. I'm not going to do that to you because otherwise we'll be here all, all morning. Um, so th- here's just five reasons why you might have unanswered prayers. The first is there are multiple wills at play. There are multiple wills at play. Jesus in his, in his prayer The Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This shows us two things. One, heaven is the place where God's will happens all of the time. But this also shows us that earth, where we are, is where God's will happens some of the time. Meaning that we are praying and inviting God's will to invade, heaven-like perfect will to invade here on earth. And so prayer is a space where we interact with the heaven and earth dimension. This is where we participate with the will of God and with our will to bring God's kingdom. And so there's God's will. We know that there's God's will. He's moving things forward. There's our will, plus the seven plus other billion people on this rock. So you guys are trying to get a parking lot outside of La Paloma, and you're driving around, and there's only one parking lot left, parking spot left, and you're praying, God, please let me get that parking spot. But there's another person from this church, full of faith, praying the same thing. What happens? Obviously, God's favorite gets the spot. If you got the spot this morning, you're in the favor of God. No, if you didn't, this is what you say. You say, God, why do bad things happen to good people? And you just bring that to the Lord, right? So there's God's will. There's our will. We also see in this story, right, there's a demon. So we understand there are spiritual beings. They have a will of themselves, some benevolent, as we see in other parts of the Bible, and some malevolent. There's also creation, which have laws of gravity, right? It kind of functions as as its own type of will. And so the interplay of all of these wills make it a pretty complex situation. And here's what I really want to go into. I feel like there's been some really harmful things that have been said to people because of unanswered prayers. Statements like, you just need to have more faith. If you just believed more, then that would have happened. Or God must not be listening to you. It's just not true. What hidden sin do you have in your life, you know? God's not listening to you because you have a hidden sin. Or you're just not religious enough. God doesn't listen to you because you don't go to church. Right? There is something to be said about praying in faith, repentance from sin, all of that. But prayer is obviously way more dynamic than that. And if you've ever heard those statements as to the reason why God isn't answering your prayer, can I just say, Jesus full of faith. Jesus, without sin, got a no. So let that just be a bomb to someone's heart. If you got an answer that's a no, look at Jesus and take heart. It's too dynamic and too nuanced for blanket statements. What we see is God doesn't seem to override our will. He's not a dictator. He doesn't seem to make us robots that are programmed. The Bible highlights that he is a relational father that woos us, that influences us, that romances us into relationship because he is love. Now freedom is at the heart of all that's good in the world and it's also at the heart of all that's bad in the world. And there's a vast spectrum of people who would say, man, God is is completely in control, and there's a vast there's a whole other spectrum to say God's not in control at all. What do you do with God's will and our will? I'm not talking about that today, because that's not I'm gonna get in trouble if I do that. Not the sermon I'm giving today, but wherever you fall on that spectrum, every theological framework acknowledges the complexity of how our wills and God's will and other wills mingle. It's complex. So I don't know why the answer was no. I don't know why you haven't gotten it yet, but what I do know is there's a complexity to it. Number two, we live in a broken and fallen world. We shouldn't be surprised when bad things happen or things don't work out perfectly. You're like, man, I didn't get the parking spot, God. Well, we live in a broken world. Maybe that's not because of the fall, but I don't know, right? We, we live in a broken world. John 16, Jesus promises this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, we know since page three of the Bible that the things have broken and damaged. We know when it happened, why it happened, and how it happened. And the Bible is just playing out that narrative over and over again until we see Jesus coming in to bring healing and restoration. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes we don't get answers to our prayer because we live in a broken system. Sometimes God actually has something better. Can anyone give me an amen that God didn't answer your prayer that you'd marry your seventh grade girlfriend? <laughs> like, that's me. I'm like, thank you, God. Like, that would have not have been good, right? Sometimes God's like, hey, I have something better. And we look back years from now, and we look back like, God, thank you. You didn't answer that. I think of people who, and this is sensitive, but I think of people who, who have not been able to have a child and. Because of that, they went into the foster system and they adopted, and now they have these beautiful adopted children, and because God didn't answer their prayer to have a kid, now they have these beautiful children. Painful, and yet beautiful. Maybe it's because God has something better. There's a very real spiritual warfare. Number four. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There's actually a spiritual battle going on. There's a super obscure story in Daniel 10 where he's been fasting and praying for three weeks, and then the angel shows up and he's like, Where have you been? And he's like, sorry, man, I heard your prayer the first time, but I got held up with the Prince of Persia. Like, also a really good Disney movie. But what is that all about? Well, apparently there are are evil forces that are over regions that can cause there to be a, a dimension in the spiritual warfare where answers can't happen immediately. I don't know all the complexities of that, but as Scripture says, there's spiritual warfare. And number five, maybe the answer's not yet. Maybe it's not yet. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This can actually best be translated, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Maybe it's a delay and it's not a denial. So I think as we pray over a long period of time, our hearts actually begin to change. As we pray and we give these things to the Lord, as we ask and we seek, what's revealed in our heart oftentimes is actually unhealthy attachments that we have. Anthony Demilo, a spiritual writer, puts it this way. He says, if you look carefully, you will see that there is one thing that causes unhappiness. The name of that thing is attachment. What is attachment? It's an emotional state of clinging caused by the belief that without that particular thing or person, you cannot be happy. See, the thing is, God is not off-put by our desires. He wants our desires. He invites us to pray our desires. Read the Psalms. He wants us to bring those things to him. But what he also wants to do in in like the Brita filter of prayer, he wants to refine our desires and release it from its attachments. Where God, I need this in order to be happy. See, we all think that maybe we're good without money until the economy crashes and we find out that we have an attachment. We all think that maybe we can be satisfied in Christ alone until the relationship that we're in falls apart and we're undone. See, we realize that through prayer over a long period of time, God is beginning to reveal our attachments and he's refining us. It's not that desire is bad, but God wants to refine us. And then maybe he'll even turn our will to his will and our prayers will look a lot like Jesus. Sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is not answer your prayer. Because imagine if he gave you that thing that was actually killing you. And he's like, no, I I want you in the process of prayer, giving this to me in my presence to refine you. And that's actually me answering your prayer. And so here's what, I'm not saying all these things to be like, man, there's like 15 reasons why I can't hear, like why God's not answering my prayer. I don't do that so that you can like feel a lack of desire to prayer. I actually want this to increase your prayer life so that you can know that it's not because of your lack of faith, but it's because there are so many things, but actually sometimes God does answer your prayer. That God wants to refine you in prayer because you have the ear of heaven faced towards you. I want you to pray. Vent in prayer. Ask in prayer. Doubt in prayer. Discern in prayer. Relate to God in prayer. Prayer isn't a place for you to be good. It's a place to be honest. And so my desire as I say all these things is to invite you deeper into prayer because this is a place where faith is formed and we are shaped. And ultimately, this is us being shaped to be like Jesus, which turns us to our final level of faith, which is released faith. This is a faith of surrender. Released faith. This is where many times, people who are trying to stir up faith in the room, they'll talk about having risky faith. They're like, hey, pray big, bold prayers. Pray for God to do the healing. Pray for all those things. And I would say to that, yes and amen. But what we have to acknowledge is there are unanswered prayers, and ultimately, there's a deeper sense of faith. There's deeper faith. There's a faith where Jesus can say, God, I want this, but your will be done. It's a released faith. You still have risky faith. You still have faith to believe that God does and can work miracles, where you can say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can see your prayers as participation with God's will in bringing his, Kevin, his, his, his kingdom and heaven here on earth, but it's a faith that takes it a step further that says... God, I'm not in this and praying for a particular outcome. God, I'm praying because I want you. This is Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of you guys are familiar with the story. They replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But... Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. This is Paul in Philippians one twenty one: For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, the end goal of our faith is to be formed and to be people of love as Jesus defines it. The end goal of our faith isn't to see more miracles, though I pray for that. The end goal of our faith isn't to, to prophesy, though that's awesome. The end goal of our faith is to look more and more like Jesus, to be shaped and formed into people of love. So this isn't to stop praying, but to lean into prayer, because there is where you are shaped and formed into a released kind of faith where you can say, God, I believe for you to do it, but even if not, I'm not ditching my faith. I'm not ditching you. I'm going to keep praying. Ultimately, God is forming us. And have you guys ever met? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. But have you guys ever met those types of people who they've been following Jesus for a long time and they're the types of people that will pray with absolute faith over you? God, would you do this? Would you show up in their life? God, would you heal? And they're just like going for it in prayer or or they're asking for prayer and yet when something happens, you talk to them and they're like, yeah, man, God bless. And it's not fake, They're not just trying to slap like a God-blessed Band-Aid on the wound. They're in genuine honesty saying, God is so good, and I'm grateful for God. And even though he didn't answer my prayer, I'm still at peace. I'm still content. I'm still filled with love. See, God had moved them from a faith that was not simply just risking, but also released. And so for us, when we ask the question, who is Jesus? Which is the name of this series, he is the one that's guiding us and he's modeling to us for our faith journey to be risky and released. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would not only feel encouraged, in the reason that maybe our answered, our prayers are answered, but we would feel encouraged to keep praying. And that wherever you are, whether you're in a religious type faith or you find yourself in more of a risky type faith season but that eventually we would get to a place where Jesus' end goal is that we'd become people of love, a released kind of faith, where we're formed and shaped in His image. These are the types of people that walk around, and wherever they go, the kingdom just follows because they're exuding the Spirit. They're exuding love. They're exuding just this this faith in God. Nothing can touch them. Nothing can shake them. Nothing can mess them up because their faith in God is so rooted that even when troubles come, they're just not anxious. And they're at peace. This is the faith that God wants to move us to. Would you guys stand up and would you pray with me? So Jesus, we just come before you right now as we sing this song and we, we bring to you maybe the faith and maybe the prayer of the man in this passage. God, we believe, but would you help us in our unbelief? Would you take just this this meager amount of faith that we have, would you take this little portion that we have, God, and would you receive it? Would you shape us? Would you grow in us? Would you fill us with your spirit so that we can step deeper into the journey of faith? God, I pray that you would have grace on us, that you would help us have grace on ourselves, not to judge ourselves where we are on the journey, but that we would look to you hand in hand and take a step forward. So God, I pray for everyone in here this morning that they would experience more of you, that they wouldn't experience you distant, and if they're experiencing a no to their prayers, that they would lean in further, they would step up into the next level of faith. God, you are such a good father. You are such a good guide. You love us so well. God, thank you for being a God who doesn't leave us, but you grow us up. So God, I pray that you do that even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.